Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? He's a, he's back. Correct. He's, I'm here this week. Yeah. Or previously, I was not. With me as, as always was is officially a lie, but what are you going to do? Um, also with me this week, Kid Presentable. Breathing a sigh of relief because uh, my lady fighter, she, she won a fight. Yes, right. Meanwhile, another one that I uh, ride for, getting herself canceled. By uh, Angela Hill. But, uh, <laughs> Yo, I'll talk about that later. Yeah, exactly. Um, That'll be in the political corner we do this week. Uh, I guess. Um, it's election year, guys. We're not going to. We, 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 if you weren't around in 2016 and the beginning of 2017, <laughs> we get real polarizing this time of year. Um, we're going to talk uh, about this card that happened this past Saturday, uh, headlined by Alexander Rakic. Um, if I ever meet this dude, I can talk about Austria with him. Because I've been there like 10 times. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, Neil Magny, Alexa Grasso, Robbie Lawler, all the, all the fun shit that happened. Um, we're going to talk about some of the news. Um, that is where I will be saying bad things about the president of the UFC. But also we'll have some fun with wild speculation about Brock Lesnar. Because it's Brock Lesnar as a free agent time of the year, folks. I love it. Um, and uh, then we're going to uh, talk about this Alistair Overeem card. And I'm just going to call it the Alistair Overeem card because it gets real thin after you're done mentioning Alistair Overeem's fight. We're going to talk about Overeem and then we'll move on. Yeah, honestly, I think Alistair Overeem might have more fights than everybody else on the main card added up. That, That's probably fair. That, that might happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to do stuff we like. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the sad news about losing Chadwick Boseman. Um among other things. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's get into it. Um, UFC Fight Night uh, at the, I almost called it the Performance Center, Steph, um, at the Apex. They should, they have the Performance Institute. That's what the UFC has. That's confusing. Yeah, and the Apex is that little arena they got in there. Um, was originally going to be headlined, if I'm not mistaken, by Yair Rodriguez versus... Uh, Oh, I think it's yeah. You're, I might be talking about yeah, this here. And uh, Zabit. And Zabit, a fight we were all fucking hyped for, and now they're saying it might be the opening of another pay per view. Which I don't know. In the era, in the age of coronavirus, we'll see what happens because we all thought we were gonna be able to enjoy this Eon Kutelaba fight again, and that's just the man got COVID still. So did he get it again, or did he still? have This it? is the thing, man. If you test positive two weeks ago. And then you test negative, but then you test positive again in a two weeks. I don't I think, think you it's got all re- that skin dye. Too uh, much green skin dye. And you like, commit to the bit too hard. And then we got the same situation here with this OSP fight. That's this weekend, where two weeks ago OSP had COVID. Maybe we put like a month between these, at yeah. least. You know, a like spacer. a little space. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Rakic, Anthony Smith. Um, I think we all took Rakic, right? Um, I think we, did. we all recognize what this was. We um, look like geniuses. Um, we all kind of saw Anthony Smith's last fight and thought, 
This man's teeth were falling out of his mouth. Um, not sure if you listened to the show, Mark, um, but Mike was like, this man's teeth fell out of his mouth. I know it was a, it was a few months ago. He shouldn't be fighting this soon. So there's yeah. that. Um, look, I, I've, I've miscalled the death of a lot of fighters. I've been a little too early to uh, talking about the washing room and various analogies related to that. Um, he seems like a really good dude, right? They showed a lot of packages where he's enjoyed his time off chilling with his kids one of his daughters looks exactly like him. It was kind of eerie uh, seeing them. He seems like a good dude. He just doesn't have it anymore. Um, he, just some mileage on this guy. There, This was not a competitive fight. I mean, the guy's got 49 pro fights. 50 if you count the six-minute fight he had with the, raw, with the guy who broke into his fucking house. If you read that nut, nutty, nutty story. I mean, the guy hit his stride 43 fights into his career. Um, doesn't mean he can't fight anybody. But he probably shouldn't fight anybody in the top 10, if not top 15. Um, yeah, no, I agree. He, he didn't look particularly strong in this fight. And I think some of the things he does well, he he's, he he has a good guard. And he showed some good yeah. stuff there. It wasn't enough. I think it was a lot of the low kicks in the first round that kind of stilted any offense standing that he would have had, which I don't even think that's his best attribute. Oh, I mean, and I think you know you have a, a bar to your career when you're like your best attributes are like your toughness and your willingness to keep going and when someone takes away a you know a primary facet of your game like a leg that you need to move on to you know throw strikes into grapple effectively it kind of just stagnated him yeah, I mean, and kind of ragdolled him the rest of the fight were you impressed with rack with uh with rackic i mean i kind of came out of this thinking like for the guy was talking a lot after the fight and i get it you want your main event about like i should get a title shot next and i'm like Man, you don't win a fight like that and then expect to get a title shot. Like, it was not – the guys had better performances is my takeaway. What do you think, Mark? Oh, no, I totally agree because um, really he didn't show a lot. Because I mean, basically he, he he did good in that first round. He he stifled Smith. And the rest, of, the rest of the fight he was kind of just okay with just getting on top of him. And you kind of felt that the victory was more important than how he got it because especially at the end of the fight, if you guys remember like last 10 seconds – he just like stood up and put his arms up in the air. And then like Anthony Smith got up and he was like, do you want me to hit you? And he's like, he's like, and Anthony, Anthony just kind of like mentally just gave up at that point. The last five seconds, he wasn't going to do anything. And he just kind of raised his hand. So you can tell that he was kind of just fighting for the clock and, and waiting for that. But he, he did what he had to do to win. You know, I think, do you remember what Anthony Smith was ranked at? I mean, he was fairly high. like a uh, five. Or five. I want to say, yeah, I don't think he was. I mean, was he still up there? I was going to say like, I think it was nine versus eight or something. Right. Does that uh, sound right? Maybe I thought he was a little higher, but he. Let me he see if the UFC rankings are actually updated. Let's see if um, UFC yeah, rankings are. Like right. I said, it was it was a good win. It wasn't a great performance, you know. He got a W versus a former title contender, so that's something. But you know, it wasn't so much in a way that he did it. He was number five. I was wrong. Okay, okay, he yeah. was fine. Rakic was eight. Um, I like how Tiago Santos is still two. Dude hasn't fought in like eighteen months. Um, yeah, I mean, Steph. If you want to, if you, if this, I mean, two hundred five is a mess, but you're not getting a title shot off of that. You got to get another win in here, right? I mean, no, you're getting the guy who I mistakenly thought he was when we were picking this last week. You're getting Yuri Prochaska. We're gonna take the two Eastern European guys and figure out which one is the real one. And I am betting it's Yuri. I think they should give him. I think Glover fighting Tiago Santos. Am I inventing a fight? Glover's fighting somebody soon, and I like how Glover's still in this little fucking mini tournament for the new 205 champion um glover's fighting tiago santos so i gotta think the winner of that fight's gonna take on the winner of yan versus uh guys help me out 
Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes. Um, cause I don't know if they booked, I think they gotta put a title on that Reyes yawn fight. And, and I got, you got the vacant title. Yeah. Fight. You gotta think Santos Glutero winners taking on the winner of that. Maybe the so, loser. I, Bobby, what's, what's wrong with my pick? Well, my I mean, pick the, is perfect. you want, you want to, you want to start eliminating contenders? Glover's a hundred years old. UFC's hoping Glover loses and he can lose another fight. <laughs> Bobby Jones just left. Everything is fresh. There is no stale fights in this division anymore. It's just a bunch of nobodies. I've, I've, decided, this is. I've decided right now, I want Glover to share to be 205-pound champion. It would make me very happy. <laughs> right? 40-year-old Glover to share as champion at 205 would be very appropriate for me. Um, and we, we got Rumble waiting in the wings. You know, this might be his time to shine. Um, all right. Uh, Neil Magny, Robbie Lawler. Oh, shit. Rumble's going to show up and become champion. Um, Neil Magny, Robbie Lawler. I think we all kind of recognized that first round. Robbie Lawler might uncork something on Neil Magny, Steph. But instead, Robbie Lawler's like, hey, remember when I used to train down with Matt Hughes and shit and I learned how to wrestle? Let's do that. It wasn't good. It was It was, It was. was a tough Robbie fight if you're a Robbie fan. Um, I think we kind of said we were talking during watching the fights, kind of talking a little bit before we started the show. Like, he, This is the first time he really looked kind of old. Um, he just didn't have it anymore. Even when they weren't wrestling, uh, Magny was peppering in these jabs and straights and Robbie was like, he would eat two punches before he could even react with a counter of his own. He started flinging head kicks at the end when he needed a knockout, right? There wasn't any credible threat. Um, you know, it's, it's not a knock. The guy has been through a billion wars. The, you know, we talked about, uh, Anthony Smith getting his peak so late into his career. What was Robbie Lawler's title run, right? We all remember Robbie versus Nick Diaz in the UFC God knows how long ago, right? The guy has been around forever, and he had a really late, great run. But um, when your run is over, just admit when it's at its end, as Eminem says. And that's kind of what we saw here. Um, Magny really just dominated from bell to bell. Um, you're a big Magny guy, Bob. I, I, I don't want to shit on him too hard in a win. Well, I'm about but, to. So if you want to do um, a show, I'll go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I, I kind of brought this up because um, when Mark picked against Robbie and he wasn't here last week, I kind of spoke on your behalf, Mark, because I kind of think you and I largely, to the same extent, we kind of feel the same way about Neil Magny in terms of he doesn't really wow us, right? You know, he's got pretty solid stand-up. He's a, he's a credible grappler, but he's just not top level. He doesn't tend to finish a lot of guys with strikes or submissions. Um, he can control guys, but then when you look at who's above him, are better wrestlers, are better strikers. So it's not that he's bad. It's just that you see... B-plus everywhere, bro. Be, you're never going to be better than the guys above you at what they do. And so he controlled Robbie, you know? like, But you didn't finish him when he had a very like big size advantage, big grappling advantage. You know, not that Robbie is easy to finish, but that's the reason it's hard to be tough or it's hard to be high on Neil even when he wins and what did they say? He's two wins away from tying GSP's win rate in this uh, division. You know, he's, he, he fights a lot. He wins a lot. But it's just never that impressive. I mean, you nailed half of two-thirds of what I was going to say. Um, it's not that he didn't finish Robbie. It's that he did it. I get that Robbie's dangerous. But you got to like – we like when a guy makes an effort to end a fight, right? And he's comfortable having the position. Yeah, and Neil – I look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Neil Magny mark, but I'll be critical. Um He's won five of six. Um, his loss was to Ponzinibbio. He's won three straight. Lee Jin Yang, Anthony Rocco Martin, Robbie Lawler, all tough guys. And 170, if not the toughest division in this sport, top two or three toughest division. But 
He's 33 years old now. He's been in the UFC a long time. I'm not, and like after the fight, he's just like, oh, you know, somebody in the top 10. And then somebody, somebody said, how about you fight Jeff Neal, who was originally the opponent, who's number 11. He's like, sure, Jeff deserves it too. I'm not saying the man's got to go all Conor McGregor. Of course, I'm not asking for a guy to lie about who he is. But go out there and say, no, I want a top five opponent. And fight with more of a sense of urgency. Because I really thought he could have done more in this fight. Because it's not like, I mean, I've seen Robbie Lawler get finished before on the ground. You know, just saying. You don't have to knock him out, but like, use some of those school skills you learned from the Damian you know, Maya seminar. Like, threaten some stuff. And again, I like Neil Magny, but it's now's the time. He's 31 fights in. He's 33 years old. He's been in the UFC now since 2013. You know, he showed up at 7-1. and one. He's now 17-7. and seven. I'm sorry, 24-17. and 17. I can't talk. 24-7. and seven. So he's 17-6. and six. It's a good record at a tough weight class. And I don't think he's ever sniffed past being top seven, maybe. You got you to gotta make some moves here. Mark, what'd you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I mainly agree with you guys. I mean, he went, he does, he does go for some interesting things. He did try, he attempted a twister. You know, he had part of that was cool. Here. I was pretty excited about that. I'll give him that. That was pretty yeah, cool. And I think, you know, his style lulled Robbie Lawler into a sense that he could kind of grapple with him because in, in like, you've been very critical of him in the past, Bobby, like he gives up these positions. Sometimes he, he gets in these grappling modes where he's, very comfortable writing and kind of grappling and exchanging positions where it allow Robbie to do, get some reversals to get in some spots that didn't seem as bad. And then before he knew it, you know, he spent way too much time wrestling where he wasn't winning those exchanges and really depleting a lot of his energy. And in the, you know, the latter half of the fight where he had some opportunities standing to try to get something going, he just didn't have the energy to be the aggressor and was kind of just falling behind and ultimately lost the fight. I didn't think it was, you know, I did have a flashback thinking like, this guy has been fighting for so fucking long because, you know, for those that are slightly newer to the sport, Robbie was like the first star they tried to get on national TV when they did like the best damn sports show. He was like, look at this young kid. He's 25 and he's like a Tyson. And it's just it's kind of surreal to see him still um, fighting in the UFC at this point, given his career path and trajectory where, you know, at one point it did seem like it was on the, the downward slope. Um, but and it kind of seems like at this point, ultimately, maybe we're seeing, you know, the last couple fights of his career. Um, but yeah, I thought Neil, he, he looked, he looked good, you know, um, but I agree, Bobby, he, he, you need something to kind of spice it up and get people interested in your fights. If you're not getting spectacular finishes, your grappling exchanges could be, you know, as entertaining as they are, but that's really not going to build much of a fan base. And if you, yeah, don't have that urgency to be like, yeah, I want a top five opponent and they say, and then, and then even when you say top 10 and the, uh, commentator shoots down an 11 person, you're like, yeah, that sounds good too. It's like, okay, dude, even you're not trying to promote yourself. So, um, yeah, I, hopefully he, he, he gets those wins and we can see him really challenge and maybe become more than what we've seen, but it, it's hard to, to, to really visualize that. I mean, I, I want to see him fight somebody like, you know, I'm looking at 170, like maybe a Kiesa's eight. I don't know what he is right now at this point, even Neil Magny was 14 going into this fight. Um, I, how what the fuck are the UFC rankings? What the fuck is this shit? I don't know. Stephen Thompson, the six fight Wonder Boy. Let's sure. see. Let's see that happen. If you can be Wonder Boy, holy shit, right? Maybe you can. I don't know. 
What, what, what's left of Colby Covington or Woodley at the end of that fight? Ask to fight one of them. There you go. Jorge's in there. We're, we're, like what's it. that other contender that, that that Leon Edwards reminds me a lot of Neil Magny. Not a lot of spice on that one. Well, Leon Edwards <laughs> talks more shit than Neil Magny. That's true. He does. He <laughs> does I, do that. And I think he actually gets a finish here or there. Um, he might have beaten Neil Magny for all we know. Um, all right. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, Stefan, talk about Alexa Grasso and Ji Yoon Kim and uh, Miss Kim. Um, went with the uh, Hulk Hogan approach to MMA where she didn't sell anything. So. Oh, yeah, she she knows so. She is a stoic, <laughs> solid face. Um, Alexa landed a lot of great shots on her. Um, but it was a fun fight. You know, um, I know not, Kim doesn't have a lot of uh, name recognition. Um, I know she didn't immediately evoke any thoughts when you guys, uh, we were all talking about the fight last week. Um, but I've seen her fight multiple times. She has good hands. Um, she, she's a counterboxer. She can plant power, and you saw she rocked Alexa real early on. Um, but credit to Alexa, she she adjusted well. Um, when you saw the tail of the tape, like Alexa threw a billion head punches, body punches, body kicks, leg kicks. She really mixed it up. She used a lot of movement, um, and ultimately uh, Kim just wasn't able to find that power counter punch. It, it was a really it was a really really fun back and forth fight. Um, I was really shocked to see Alexa uh, kind of seal the fight with a takedown. Um, because that's been her biggest Achilles heel. That was uh, cool. Since she showed up, she's a boxer, right? She's a sprawling ball boxer, but there have been grapplers who have been good enough to stall her in the clinch, to take her down and ground her. Um, not, you know, sub her, not finish her, not really, you know, beat her. Every fight she's lost in the UFC, they've been decisions, and maybe they weren't necessarily, like, by the hair close decisions, but they were close in that she was never outmatched. She never seemed out of her depths. Um, but as someone who was incredibly high on coming out of Invicta, you know, she, she stalled out a little bit, right? We had to pump the brakes on a couple of different occasions, but um, she looks better in this weight class. Um, she talked about feeling better. She got to fill out. You know, she's young. She's like, what, 25, 26, you know? So she's just growing into her body. She didn't seem overmatched. She didn't seem overpowered. Kim is tall, um, so she definitely seemed shorter in that regard. But um, just a, the exact type of performance short of getting, like, you know, a devastating finish. Uh, that she needed to in a new division, so um, yeah, I'm she excited beat, to see what comes from her. She beat the number fourteen ranked uh, uh, flyweight in the world. I mean, I'm looking at the top 10, 11. Macy Barber's knee is fucked. Um, what's KGB Lee out up to? Andrea Lee, maybe her, maybe Viviana Rujo. You know, maybe Jessica. I, Jessica, I I don't know what she's up to anyway. There's no number. They have two number five ranked people. God, there's no way that makes sense. Okay, no one's even fucking checking this thing. Um, give her anybody, anybody whose name we've heard of this time, a little bit more well known, huh? Let's let's do that. I mean, it's there's there's a lot of what's going on in this division, so um, it's ripe for the taking. But yeah, anyone above her, yeah, anyone I, with a number by their name is a credible fight. If I'm a Jojo, um, coming off of a quick loss, uh, if we want to fast track it, um. That'd be a fun stand-up fight. I would not want to fast-track anything because I would like to avoid getting a title shot in this weight class for as long as Valentina's out there sniping motherfuckers. Look at her teammate, though. Her teammate got one big knockout, and suddenly she's in the picture, right? This, You know, sometimes there's just not a lot going on. Man, in I, 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 this is a side note. I'm really excited for when they actually, we actually get to see Holly Holm versus uh, Irene, uh, Irene Aldana, Marcus. That's going to be a banger, I think. Oh, That's sure. going to be a fun one if we ever get to see it. Um... Marcus, do you have any thoughts on the, on the Llamas fight beyond, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, that was a fun fight to watch. This was a great fight. Um, 
I was thinking of just fast forwarding to the co and main for this card. Uh, and then I remember like, I thought this card was supposed to be good. And I saw it was Ricardo Lamas. I was like, you know, let's give this a shot. And I'm really glad I watched this fight because it was, it was, it ended up being fight of the night and it was really good. Um, and I think a lot of credit has to go to the uh, uh, challenger here, Bill Algo. Is that what they're pronouncing? I don't remember. Fun? I didn't unmute the whole time. <laughs> I don't know. Geo, Bill Algo. I'm just going to go with Algo. Algo. Uh, he, he's a really lengthy guy for featherweight, and he really pushed Lamas. He he won the second round. He had really good stand-up. He's a really tall, lengthy guy, so he landed some good shots from the outside. At one point, he landed a knee to the head when uh, uh, Lamas kind of came in. Um, and Ricardo really had to dig deep in the third, and... Uh, what was what I thought was interesting in this fight was ultimately all the judges gave Lamas a 10-8 for the last round. And I wasn't thinking 10-8 until the uh, announcers actually mentioned it. And I just thought it was interesting. I mean, I think it was absolutely deserved, but I wonder if those judges heard that 10-8. And they're like, you know what, that's that's what I'm gonna do. Cause I, I'm just surprised all the judges went that same way. I think it was the right call ultimately. And um, I think this uh, this Bill Algo guy is really someone to look uh, forward to in his next fight because um, he really, I think the, uh, the commentary team also said this like it really brought the dog out in Lamas in that third round because he was definitely getting beat up. Bill was kind of doing he was doing a lot of those when uh, Lamas would miss those like putting his hand to his forehead and like looking how far he missed and that was kind of pissing Lamas off. There was some heat in this fight, um, which ultimately made it really um, entertaining as well. But yeah, it was a great fight. You know, Lamas really showed a lot of heart in there, and we saw you know some young blood. Um, and someone that I'm going to remember their name next time they fight. So, uh, Before we move on, shout out to Bruce Leroy because Mike was here. He'd give him the shout out. Bruce Leroy, Steph has strung three wins together, and he ain't never done that before. And he looked good. Guy missed weight by six pounds. We never knew the fuck he was, but that man's improving. You take him how you get him. Um, it's, it's tough for what to take away. You know, it's good for him. We like him. But at the same time, he's not as young as you might think he is in your head. He's been here a while, man. Because he, he's kind of been around for a while. So it's one of those, you know, he's he's always a credible threat. He he, he might just be a gatekeeper. Um, but, hey, that, you got to make your career somehow. You know, it's always good. Better to get a win than a loss. Somebody's got to keep them gates. I mean, the man came from, he came in at UFC uh, after Tough 12. And that was 2011. So was he the go. GSP cause season? He was the GSP cause season. That was the last was truly part of great. That was one of the last truly great seasons. I think season thirteen was with Brock versus uh, Junior, and we all thought it'd be great, but we realized Brock is just like a wrestling coach, and Brock the only thing he learned how to say was chicken salad out uh, making chicken salad out of chicken shit. God, that thing is a tough used to that be. Was his, that was his little catchphrase. <laughs> that was it. And I remember they did like a football skills competition, him and Junior. And like Junior won. But it was just like you had to like kick a field goal. I'm like, well, the motherfucker from Brazil is going to win this part. Yeah, well, wasn't that like when they had uh, didn't they do basketball for Rampage and Forrest? And they're like, oh, I'm sure Rampage knows how to basketball. He oh, that was you couldn't dribble the ball. I, I remember dunking threes and shit. It's like, all right. I remember they said uh, one of the guys. I forgot who was a, one of the, it was tough seven, I think, where like one of the guys says. Rampage can't shoot, and and Forrest shoots like Larry Bird in his prime. So, God, it was I, them, right? Am I missing that? Am I, I, that was they, it. They did it season, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. It's all think, a blur. Honestly, that's when things. Uh, you're right. That's a tough twelve step. Might have been the last one where like I was enjoying myself. Like I remember thinking Michael Bisping versus Mayhem Miller was going to be fun, but that was that was not fun. So sometimes people you expect to be good TV and you're uh you know let down. But uh, GSP, 
is good TV. You know what? I thought, you know, James Bean is better TV than he is fighting. Like that's the thing is his his personality significantly outweighed the entertainment of his fighting. GSP was entertaining on Tough Four when he was uh, where Shoney Carter was teaching him the pimp walk. That's a classic tough moment right there. I mean, uh, GSP showing his list of names and prospects, and just <laughs> letting the other coaches see it. Like, honestly, if I had fight pass, that would be the things I'd watch. What is this random moment from Tough that made me laugh? Joss Koscheck not understanding the definition of motorboating. You know, like there's a lot of good moments from that season. Tough Five remains the best season, though, folks. Like, if you really want, if you really are paying for fight pass for no reason, Tough Five just for BJ Penn. Starting off the season, so I'm saying, if you want to be on my team and want nothing to do with Jens Pulver, raise your hand. And 10 of 16 people raised their hand. And then they did it again later, and Nate put his hands down. And why did Nate put his hand down, Steph? He's, he didn't want to have his hand up like a little bitch. Exactly. You know? but he, did, he did raise his hand. He just didn't want to leave it up there. <laughs> and you had the Andy Wang moment. Fuck, man. Tough five highlights is the way to go. Um... Remember tough before this is a tangent, but remember they did the Ultimate Fighter Live with Dominic and Uriah, and this was before Dominic became the master of shit talk, so it was terrible, and you could tell they kind of liked each other. It was not fun for I mean, anybody. Yeah, that, that season was like, how oh, this rivalry actually Loki sucks. Yeah, it just <laughs> like, looks this like is, these. This is a real lame like middle school grade rivalry. And then you hear like stuff later on where like Dom and like Uriah, Uriah's like, yeah, Dom would text me sometime asking about marketing tips, and I'm like, the fuck is this? Why do you lie to me? Anyway, um, let's get some news going. Um, I'm going to get this out of the way quick. Um, President of the UFC, if you follow us on Twitter, which why would you? But if you follow us on Twitter, um, I went back and grabbed the Twitter account again just to shit on Dana White. Because he went and talked at the Republican National Convention in favor of the racist president we have. And I'm going to try to be as measured as possible when I say this. Because I kind of... I get it on some level. And here's the level I get it. Because I remember Dana White one time being at a fundraiser for uh, former Senate Democratic uh, leader Harry Reid. And people were trying to ask him questions. And all he said was, I support Harry Reid because he supports us. And I remember when he spoke, when Dana White spoke at 2016 Republican convention. And he talked about how much Donald Trump helped the UFC. So I get it, motherfucker. You're loyal. But... It's been four years. This isn't a hypothetical about what this man is as a president. He doesn't know what he's doing. There are additional dead people because he's president. All right? A lot of additional dead people. All right? And when you just read off of the talking points they gave you, which is clear, Dana, about how nobody could have seen this, like, you look like a dumbass. And you make the sport look like every, like fucking stupid as it already is. And... You make us all look stupid for liking this thing. So, I look, be a loyal person, I guess, all right? But it's been four years. We know what this man is. You don't need to go on TV and embarrass yourself. And it honestly was it was really frustrating to watch. And Luke Thomas said something a few weeks ago uh, on Twitter where he said, aside from loving fights, I share nothing with the people involved in this sport or or who, you know, at all. And I really start to believe that more and more every fucking day. So the UFC doesn't get any more money from me. Um, well, let me tell you this motherfucker. This motherfucker gets reelected. UFC's not getting money from me for four years. All right. All right. <laughs> if November goes well, God willing, please, God, please. 
I'll buy the December pay-per-view. There might okay. just be a whole rebranding of this podcast if we uh, continue to function as an operation whatsoever. <laughs> we get yeah, really honestly. into Bellator, baby. We oh, are Jesus. deep in these cards. Oh, I don't want to look into what Bellator does with their money either. It's going to make me sad. That's a good point. It's fucking Viacom. Who do you think Viacom One FC, baby. Oh, God, one FC is the worst. boxing matches right I'm, I'm just watching fucking AEW. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> You talk about we're we're gonna follow bare knuckle FC. They're just oh, going yeah. million then, like, contracts, baby. Again, I'm trying to be this as measured as possible. Sure, the man helped you when you guys were losing money hand over fist when you wanted to work the Trump Taj Mahal. Okay, that was two thousand and fucking two. All right, I, d- 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 I don't want to even play devil's advocate because it's like the devil, like it's literally the devil. But um, he they he, he did make Dana part of his like COVID early response. We're getting the country back together and look at we're having dudes fight and, you know, UFC has been doing fights during COVID and I guess it hasn't been too bad. Obviously, they've been, they've been finding a lot of fighters. That, that, that group had one meeting. That what? That group he created had one meeting. Had one meeting, yeah. And yeah, I don't Mark, know what it was. Mark Cuban, Mark, it, right? Mark Cuban from the Dallas Mavericks is part of that group who's very critical of the president himself. He said, we had one fucking meeting. That was it. We did nothing That's else. That's the only thing I think of is, like, why he would still... No, I mean, honestly, really, it's just, just, honestly, the guy, I think he literally thinks this guy had my back 18 years ago, and I need to have his back now, and he has such fucking tunnel vision about what his life is, about, like, all he focuses on is his fucking company, and making money, and all that shit, and I don't think he even, like, can think outside the box of that, because I don't think he's nearly as stupid as the president is. <laughs> I think, I think really what it comes down to is, like, when you know that you have someone this polarizing why why go out there out of your way like look he can support him behind the scenes but not, when you go to the convention and give a speech that's like a big yeah. thing that you're putting so now now you're putting everyone that is a fan like okay i don't support the president but i like i like your product because i like combat sports and you basically gobbled up all the competition to be pretty much the monolith of the sport, so we have to follow it, you know, heavily because you know we're doing an MA podcast. But when you go out there and say those things, it's like, okay, now as a consumer, I have to make this horrible decision, which should never be the consumer. You should never have your consumer have to be like, oh, where do your policies and, and politics lie versus like the because pro- really for the consumer, it should just be like, what is your product and do I like that or not? And that's yes or no. Do I Dude, buy there, it? You know, it's so like, much- I like your product but I have to combat with this other thing. And now it makes me conflicted. And why do that to your customers? Who is the person he should only care about? There's a podcast I listen to. um, It's hosted by a guy who owns a uh, more, he's a wrestling podcast. The the host is a guy from Alabama. Um, And then like, you know, like a Tony Schiavone, old wrestling announcer is on there. And I thank God they don't say anything about anything because I'm just playing the odds. Come on, man. One of them's from Georgia. The other one's from Alabama. One of them is going to say something, and I, I don't want to know. And this is some fucking putting your head in the sand, some shit type shit. I get it. But, like, and I refuse to believe Dana White went out there and did that without getting the okay from Endeavor with, you know, the, his actual bosses. But I don't know. I don't, I, like, don't make this worse for me. That's all I'm asking, man. Don't make it hard. Don't make Sometimes it harder. It's hard enough when when we see a pay per view and it's like, is this worth sixty bucks? And we're having a conversation about you know, the validity of I mean, that how outside like, of what you're bringing into it. So, I mean, I refuse to believe like he does this without like Disney knowing it with ESPN pay per views and like all that shit. But I don't know. That was my rant. I just, dude, you don't need to go. We saw what. Look, I love Mark and Stefan like brothers. We've been friends for over twenty Aww. years. If Mark had a four-year presidency like this, I'd have Mark's back, let me tell you. But I'm not going to go on TV. 
Mark, <laughs> you, you can find better ways to skirt around all the shit. I, honestly, I would I would question our friendship because Mark knows I'm Iranian and my parents. I'm an immigrant. I'm a first generation American. I'm, my parents are immigrants, and I'd wonder. Man, Mark was kind of racist that whole time. He was eating scrambled eggs at my house when we were kids. Like, Bob's like, a good friend. I'd turn my back on either one of you if you were responsible <laughs> for the last four years. Yeah, that'd be fair. I'd turn my back on either. It would be a, it would be a, a like one eighty personality change. You'd be like, well, you're not the person I was friends with. You become whichever one of, of you is president. Mark. I was going to the other one, being like. Man, what the fuck happened to him, man? What Look, the fuck happened to that guy? This is going to be a rare occasion book. where I'm going to say this. Vince McMahon, his fucking wife, works for Trump. That's true. Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon shuts the fuck up, okay? Vince shuts the fuck up, all right? Because Vince don't want this shit, all right? Vince doesn't. Vince had him on the show. Vince had him on the show. He's, He's in the goddamn him. WWE Hall of Fame, right? That's true. Vince, he should maybe his wife is that. actively campaigning. Like she, she runs a super PAC for this asshole. Mm, I'm just saying, point. don't make your fans like he's got a 40 percent approval rating. I, I look. I know there's an impression about MMA fans, okay? But I refuse to believe he's got more than 40 percent support with. Okay, more than 60 percent support with MMA fans. All right, that's what I'm going with. I'm just saying. President showed up at Madison Square Garden and got booed. Just saying. Anyway, I don't know. That's all I got. Um, you guys want to have some fun now? Let's enjoy ourselves a little bit before we sure. get before we get sad talking about stuff we like. Brock Lesnar, folks. And let me tell you, I could have been ahead of the game here because yesterday, um, I'm watching uh whatever what was the pay per view stuff on? Help me out. <laughs> you were watching too. <laughs> uh, payback. Sure, payback. And um, I'm talking about I'm talking to my friend Phil. And I'm like, man, you know, Paul Heyman's out there. What's Brock? And like, we were talking about Brock Lesnar merch for some reason. And I said, I'm going to buy a Brock Lesnar shirt. What could I even buy? And I went and looked. I'm like, Brock's merch play page is gone. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then this morning, I read a headline on Reddit saying, hey, Brock's merch uh, page is gone. And then two hours later, I'm reading, hey, Brock's got no contract. We could have, we could have broke this news, guys. We could have just said this shit. Um, we all know what happens when Brock Lesnar doesn't have a contract. Uh, it's time to speculate about MMA. Uh, John Jones said he'll beat Brock's ass. Uh, Scott Coker said Brock Lesnar versus Fedor. Um, realistically, do either of you think Brock does anything but resign with the WWE after he leverages, you know, a UFC offer against Vince? I think it's really tough to imagine brock wanting to get seriously wanting to get back into a fight because it's just it is I, I feel like it's a lot more preparation that's needed than to go back to to pro wrestling you know i'm sure he has to train and get ready for you know a big pay-per-view match when he does something for the wwe but i think it's much less to the extent of having an actual fight with another competitor that is foaming at the mouth at the opportunity to 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 beat up this guy who's going to be a huge pay-per-view draw and can build a career off off this match you know i mean brock knows that when he gets in there everyone's gunning for him because you know he has such a big name so it's really tough to, to think that he is going to get enough money to because i think i think i think for him it'll have to be more than money right i, I, don't, I, don't, think I don't think he does this for have, money i don't think he does exactly, it for money at all i think it has to be like he gets that itch again and He's had enough fights and had enough camps now to know how grueling that process is. So I think it's 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 tough for me to imagine that he'd want to do that because he's only getting older and it's only it only gets tougher. It doesn't get easier. Um, his life has only been more, you know, since the last time he fought, he's only done more 
you know, pro wrestling matches. And I have to imagine that's done somewhere in Toronto's body. So it, it's hard to imagine. I would love to see him come back. Obviously, we got hints of that with DC. Um, he's a big draw in, in more than just his drawing power. I think he is a fascinating uh, competitor and MMA fighter because of the skill set he has, but also because of how, um, you know, novice he is in some aspects of the game. Like his stand-up has been very rudimentary and he has to lean so heavily on the wrestling. So it makes him a really compelling fight. Uh, and, and a huge draw. So he's a huge guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, like I, I, see it. I was in the arena when he showed up for the DC fight, and people lost their fucking minds. Like, it was the loudest. Like, people got louder than when DC knocked out Stipe, is when Brock got in the ring and started yelling at DC, and she, got in the cage and started yelling at DC. And yeah, I mean, I think he likes it. Because, like, when you remember when he fought Mark Hunt, like, with, like, no notice, all of a sudden they're like, hey, Brock, Brock Lesnar's fighting Mark Hunt in a month. And we're all like, what? What? And, I mean, Vince is paying him hand over fist. He flies, like, private everywhere. But I just don't see it happening. Steph, you see it happening? <laughs> um, For all the reasons you said, not really. Um, and even if it did, it's, like, it's fun. It's a cool story. The promo will be cool. But what do you really expect out of the fight, you know? He popped a positive test to beat Mr. 500, Mark Hunt, and he held Mark Hunt down. You know, the, he didn't exchange in a stand-up warfare. He didn't ground and pound the shit out of him. He wrestled him because he had a clear wrestling advantage. And so it's like, even if we get him, what is it that you really expect to see? And that's if he fights a high-level guy like a John Jones to absolutely get smoked. Yeah, yeah. Or he fights some type of Mark Huntish guy where it's like, okay, he's just gonna out wrestle him. I so it's it's like the diminishing returns. Is there? It's like, what? What are you really going to get? What's it worth? I agree with you, Bob. It's it's a leverage deal. Wrestling is easy for him, right? He makes a handful of appearances. Um, I think he, you know he likes competition. He likes legitimacy, right? Yeah. He wants people to know that he's a bad motherfucker, and that's yeah. what the you know whole whole MMA excursion was all about. And so, I think what the the win was retracted, right? Because he had the positive test. Yeah. I, but, does he? Even, I mean, my friend Phil asked me, a friend of ours. Um, that like does he have to serve a suspension and i'm like i don't know i don't know if he stuck around in the pool long enough i don't even know what the fuck happened there like sure like i don't i don't know again all the minutiae of it it's like does that stuff even matter but it's like he if it my point just being is it may be wiped from the record books but he basically got to go out on a win yeah um i can't see him wanting to go out on a loss i mean like i'll say this i like brock lesnar in the sport because it's fun and I look, Brock doesn't have to prove that he's a badass. Brock fought and won the heavyweight title with a fucking hole in his stomach. Like, that is insane. People don't talk about that enough. He won the heavyweight title and got bombed on by Shane Carver and all that shit with a he's hole in his stomach. He's one of the rare one of a kind athletes yeah. we've had that have come into yeah. our sporting world. You know, um, he didn't make the league, but the fact that he got a legitimate sniff at an NFL roster while being this wrestling, this actual amateur wrestling champion, like, you know, it's like what those Bo Jackson ads were, right? The singular athlete whose skill set can transcend the highest level of multiple sports. Those are those are less than generational. Those are every, like, two or three generations. Do you remember when he showed up in WWE? Because we were still kind of watching at the end there. And, like, when he first showed up, we're like, we kind of heard about him because you knew that there was a guy who was, like, 300 pounds that could do a shooting star press. But then we saw this guy who just looked like he was made of muscle. And he was like 23 years old. And we're like, oh my God. I mean, yeah, oh, you just cut back to footage of him at Minnesota when he was in NCAA. Those traps, man had no neck. He was yeah. just straight up 
triangular traps. It's like interesting little like, boulders on his shoulders. Kurt Angle was talking about this. Uh, Kurt Angle, former United States. If you, if you don't know who Kurt Angle is, come on, guys. But Kurt Angle, a U.S. Olympian, uh, won the gold medal in 1996 with a broken freaking neck. Um, you got to say that part when you announce his gold medal. But he talks about, like, you know, he's friends with Brock. And, like, they were in WWE at the same time. He says, Brock doesn't like it when I say this, but Brock wasn't that technical of a wrestler in college. Brock just had to blast double leg from hell. And, like, he was faster than everybody. And I'm like, oh, shit. He was just getting by on that? Okay. Um, anyway, I look, I would love this for Brock Lesnar to come back. I'll tell you this. There's no chance Dana White lets him go to, uh, go to Bellator. There's no amount of money bellator can offer that dana white will not match to stop him from doing that i'm just fucking put that shit in bold okay not happening um all right um i don't know if any new other news happened this week um but let's pick some picks um overeem uh is taking on uh augusto sakai um betting odds for this one um, close. Uh, almost a coin flip. We got Overeem at minus 145 to plus 125, Augusto Sakai. Uh, Augusto Sakai is coming off of, as Stefan put it, stealing a victory from his boy, Blagoy. Um, wrong side of that split decision. Wrong side of that split decision. Alistar Overeem, has he fought since Biggie Boy knocked him out? Um, yeah, he beat, uh, Walter Harris. Walt Harris? Yes. He did beat Walt. That was the one where we all wondered if Walt Harris needs to be fighting right now. Because that was after Walt Harris' yeah, tragedy. Yeah, going on back there. Yeah, that was honestly, we're just like, man, like, does he really need to be here? And I guess he needed it and all that stuff. Um, I'm just going to put it straight up, guys. We're all picking over him. All right? Um, but I, there was this, uh, Luke Thomas pointed this out about over him. Let's see if I can find this. The number of UFC fighters who've had fights that predate 9-11. You know, 2001. Lawler has three. Oh, Anderson Silva has eight. Overeem's got fucking 10. <laughs> like, Overeem has got 65... How many fights is this? He's got 65 MMA fights on record. He's got... How many fucking kickboxing matches? Like... Yeah, a handful there, at least, because all the K1 it looks stuff. Like, it looks like 14 kickboxing matches, okay? That doesn't count... I mean, the way this motherfucker fought at Golden Glory, right? Those dudes just knock each other out in the gym. How many times... Overeem has got 14 knockout losses in MMA... And three in kickboxing. I mean, look, we're all picking him to win. I'm Alistar. Please call today soon. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Mark, what do you got on this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I always go with Alistar. Um, you know, I think he has a challenging opponent. You know, looking at Sakai's record, a lot of it are knockouts. He has, you know, fought some of the more well-known fighters in the heavyweight division. So it's not like, you know, he hasn't been somewhat tested. Um, so anytime you fight someone that, that can throw hands, you know, Overeem's potentially in trouble and also in his element, which is very weird, you know. Um, but, you know, there's always spots where uh, Overeem's very strong. You know, he has a very good clinch game and his top game is ground and pound's really good. The stand-up is really just like, he's pretty good until he gets tagged once. And then, you know, the, the house of cards comes down pretty quick. But, you know, I, I feel You always mention like when he covers up, he covers up like he's got boxing gloves on. But like when MMA gloves, there's a big hole in the middle because they're smaller gloves. He gets hit right in the face. Well, it's just his his tendency to get hit and then it's it's only cover up. It's not even that that he's just covering up and 
you know, it, with boxing gloves, he would have a lot more protection. It's just that he gives no offense. So he basically, you get, he gets tagged and the guy gets a punching bag for like 15 seconds until Overeem musters up, you know, the, the wherewithal to get out of there. I think he's gotten a little better at that. He's not making that tendency, that, that same mistake. He's not making the mistake that he like turns his back and runs away from the guy when, when, when he needs to get space. I think some of the training at, um, uh, Greg Jackson has made him a little bit more tactical, even though he's not, I don't think he's still training. I was going to say, where the fuck does he train? <laughs> I think it's ever since then. He's, I feel like he's approaching his fights with a lot more tack than he used to be able to. Cause he used to kind of just kind of go out there and just try to get it done. And now he has to know, he has to be measured. He has to pick his shots carefully because he knows one slip up could potentially mean the fight for him, but you know, he's done well, you know, he, he wins, he wins a lot of his fights. He's obviously extremely, uh, seasoned at this point, you know, have you mentioned so many fights because he has that many fights because he fought, he started fighting young and he's fought consistently his entire life. There has not been a lot of like injury stopments or big gaps in his resume. It's been pretty consistent every like three to four months. The dudes getting in some kind of cage or ring and, uh, you know, getting it done. So yeah, I, you know, I, I got hopes. He, he's my boy. I always ride with him. So I hope he can get it done. Steph, I know we were picking Overeem, but I just want to say if they tell you Brock versus Overeem, that's not the worst option. That's just we said what do you want him to do. I, would I mean, do you want to remind me of the worst beard bed I've ever heard, seen in my life? Like, yeah, you tell Brock. You know, you want to, that what we want, is that why you brought that up? You want to talk about the worst beard bed where you fucking We'll run it back. We'll run it. Fight? We'll run that one back. Mark will take over him. I'll take Brock. You're right? shaving your heads. That's what you, you do. <laughs> oh, no. You're risking your quarantine ponytails because you're both keeping that face trim. I don't trust it. We're, to, we're only only shaved heads now if that fight. Oh, shit, man. This is what you do. You bring Kane back. Because let me tell you, they're one and one if you count that Saudi shit. <laughs> you run it back. Brock versus Kane three. My mind's in the wrong place because I thought you meant Undertaker's brother Kane for a second. Oh, dude, I, I would want. <laughs> Dude, if they told you right now, MMA fight, mayor of Knox County, Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, versus Brock Lesnar, I'd watch that. No, be I want it to be versus Undertaker, because I'm kind of tired of Undertaker shtick him. If I was 20 years younger, I would have been the MMA champion. Oh, there, there's like, so many you got, Like, what proof you got of that, that you are a credible fighter, Undertaker? You just keep saying it over and over again, so that we're going to believe that you were this badass fighter. Um, I don't know. I have nothing else to say about this thing, to be honest. Um, Alonzo, there's, there's a lot of wait and see. Yeah, this whole card, honestly, guys, is a little, uh, little iffy. It's not the strongest. It's, it's an not ESPN Plus card, so um, they're not they're not asking a lot. I got something to say about it. Unfortunately, um, in a just the bad luck of bad luck UFC careers, uh, Nico Montano was supposed to be on this card, but she's got the COVID. So she, God, Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, in terms of if the UFC just I'm surprised she's not cut already. I'm just going to say it. You know, she, is, she has not gotten along with the UFC brass, and this is just another in a long series of kind of detriments to her trying to really, you know, forge her path in this uh, company. I uh, need this joke explained to me because people keep moving Todd Duffy versus John Volante onto, onto Wikipedia cards one week after another. And I don't understand. This fight never happens. And Ariel made us talked about it too. Like, oh man, we're just missing out on that Volante Duffy card, Duffy fight. What what is the joke here? That these guys are gonna fight or not fight? I don't know. I'm not on. I'm I, not in on this one. Because like I, I would watch that fight. I'd watch that fight. That seems fine with me. Uh, let's do it. Um, I don't honestly believe OSP is fighting Alonzo Menfield because OSP tested positive for COVID two weeks ago, 
And I think two weeks is too quick of a turnaround. Straight Agreed. up. Agreed. Um, who else is on this card? Nobody, huh? Oh shit! Is New Michelle game. Pereira? Is Michelle Pereira on this card? Yep. Like legitimately? Okay, that's the guy who does all the cartwheels, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he, he, lost, uh, he lost to that late replacement featherweight guy, the Canadian hero. Yeah, oh yeah, and he lost to um. Uh, oh, he Diego lost to Diego Sancho. when Diego yeah, when Diego just took an illegal knee, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm I can't, I'm, I'm I, I can't fight." <laughs> oh God, is Diego? What is Diego gonna fight again with this stupid ass mm, corner? We should just be all right. I remember when Mark wanted to give that guy the benefit of the doubt, and then the guy spent the next week doing the worst MMA yeah, media. Yeah, really, really unsold me on giving him the benefit of the doubt real quick. Because Mark was really like, hey, man, if he feels comfortable with this guy in the corner, maybe he's learning something. And then, like, the next week, Mark's just like, fuck, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> he's a dumbass. You got to come with everything with an open mind, but once you get presented with the evidence, you have to come to those hard conclusions sometimes. Exactly. Much how Dana White should now come to the hard conclusion that his friend Donald's a fucking racist. Anyway... Um, all right, stuff we like is going to happen, but first, man, like, what a shitty year. Um, LeBron said, he's like, man, we lost Black Mamba and Black Panther in the same year. 2020 is the shittiest. Um, Chadwick Boseman died, and just, I was on a video chat with Mike, I think it was during this card, it was Saturday, right? I think, Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, I have Twitter open, and like, I saw the Associated Press tweeted, Chadwick Boseman dies, a four-year battle with colon cancer. And I'm like, that, uh, Captain America, uh, Captain, I'm sorry, Captain Black Panther, really? And I like, uh, I'm talking to Mike, and I'm like, hey, Chadwick Boseman died. And Mike's just like, oh, uh, what, what? And I'm like, yeah. And I sent it to Steph, and I'm like, and Stefan, you guys all listen to podcasts, you know, Stefan is more into the Marvel Universe than any of us. And I'm like, was he even sick? Did people know he was sick? And Steph and I had the same thought. We're like, we both saw that picture of him being skinny like four or five months ago, maybe. Maybe longer. Six months ago. It wasn't even any one photo. I yeah. just interviews, appearances. Yeah. After the filming of Black Panther, he just the all-star like game he was, thing. He was thin out. Yeah. Yeah. He looked and like I remember thinking like and then like I'm like, did you and when Stefan said, holy shit, I'm like, okay, this must not have been public knowledge because Steph would have heard. Honestly, Steph's, you know, you're knee deep in that stuff. And then it was like, fuck, man. Like, it was just like, it sucked. It just sucks. And like, dude, this guy, like, in 2016, he gets diagnosed. 2016, he became fucking Black Panther. And like, all of his dreams come true. I mean, he's already in the Jackie Robinson movie at this point. And like, and this dude is going to hospitals, meeting with kids. And at the same time, he's getting treatment. And this dude's going on that fucking Marvel press schedule, and he's just... You see some interviews with him where people are like, man, you look a little tired from the press. He's like, oh, if you only knew. Like, this dude... Fuck, man. I mean, I'm trying... I mean, it's been a few days, and my thoughts aren't even that put together. God bless him, man. He really, like... He was... That movie meant a lot to a lot of people. And I'm not black. But I was still... I was in a theater in Walnut Creek. And Steph was going to tell you about being a theater, like, you know where the population of black people is more than 10% or 15%. And even then, man, everybody cheered. And, like, people were fu- people were hyped about, like, and I know there's been other black superheroes, you know, respect the Spawn and all that. But, like, this is Marvel Studios put out a Black Panther movie, and people were thrilled. And this dude had a fucking run there at the end. And God bless him, and, you know, fucking condolences to his family. 
I'm not really making a lot of sense, but just it just sucks. Yeah, I would all just all say also, about like uh, the the uh, there being other black heroes before. Like he was a like heroic hero. Like like it, Blade and Spawn are like badass kind of anti heroes, but like Black Panther was like someone that exude like what heroism is supposed to be you know like someone who's calm cool collected but also compassionate and you know empathetic I and mean, please, yeah and everybody please read what uh, ryan coogler the director of black panther wrote about um chadwick really beautiful statement and sorry to cut you off mark but like it's no i just really, thought i thought that that's that, that, i think that's what makes black panther and his character and his characterization of that of uh that character so much more impactful than just being you know, a, a African-American hero. He was like, he was the first one that really exude the kind of heroism that, you know, you want people to look up to, right? Like Spawn's aren't, Spawn and, and Blade aren't really characters. Like you want kids to like, want to mimic and look up to because like, they're usually just killing dudes and being badasses, which is totally fun and, and legit in its own right. But, you know, Black, Black Panther, you know, stood for a little bit more and carried a, a heavier message that obviously resonated with a lot more people. And, you know, for me, I think his passing is, shocking because we we didn't foresee it and you know normally one of the you know it, the sliverest of silver linings with cancer is that you know people around him at least know that this is happening you know this is this is the disease that that takes a long time so hopefully his family you know was able to have some time to prepare for for this passing um for us as fans you know it's none of our business what 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 anyone's going through if they don't want to share that information um but it definitely i think speaks to the lack of ego he has um because in the lack of narcissism that he has because if he wanted to he could have he could have said when he had black cancer like oh you know i have cancer right now and i'm battling it um and i'm still doing these movies and and having the physicality that he has in those films and in the fight scenes and the choreography that he pulls off to do that stuff while he's going through cancer would you know just raise his profile i think all the more but ultimately you know knowing that he did all the things that he did in those last four years while battling cancer, um, you know, puts a lot of the interviews that he had in hindsight. Cause I, I know recently, I'm sure a lot of people are seeing past footage that he did recently as it kind of pops up to the surface now, now of his passing. But I saw an interview recently um, after the uh, black Panther, where he talked about meeting kids with, with terminal cancer and, you know, how much they inspired him. And, and when he was doing those interviews, he was getting choked up, you know, talking about how much like how they were holding on for Black Panther to be released because it's like, you know, something they really wanted to see and how, you know, entertainment is just entertainment. But it also, you know, it's oftentimes even for me, you know, it's something to look forward to. It's something it's a goal to 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 work towards, you know, like, oh, a game's coming out or a film's coming out. That I'm really excited about it. It's something to look forward to. Um, and I think Black Panther was that for a lot of people and for a lot more than just it being a fun Marvel movie. You know, it, it really resonated and uplifted a lot of people um and his characterization is a strong part of that you know you know a worse actor would not those films would have been a lot uh, weaker than, than they were that they, they were strong and impactful and memorable because of his performances and how much he captured that those characters and other movies he's done as well so um well i think it's really sad um his passing because he's so young and you know there's i think there's so much more they could have done with him at, as an actor um the the things that i kind of hold in high regard is that you know he did get to make this impact he did get to make black panther and i wish he would have had more opportunities to reprise that role because it's so impactful and so inspiring and hopeful for a lot of people but at the very end he did get to make those movies he did make that impact you know and we will always have that year plus of him being in those movies and just uplifting so many people and with all the racial tension going on as well it's just it's even more impactful just to have someone that is just like 
that type of hero for for a whole you know community of people to to look to and to aspire to and uh yeah i think i think it's awesome that he he did what he did it's super sad that he's gone but you know he won't be forgotten so and that's you know kind of the most anyone can really do uh steph your thoughts man um yeah you know like you kind of made a thing about it, Bob, but but that, the picture that really became clear to me in the days that followed, especially as I talked to other people, as I saw people posting and the people closest to him, um, you mentioned that forward that Ryan, uh, not forward, but you know, the kind of thing Ryan Coogler put out as a statement about him. Ryan Coogler did not know about Chadwick Boseman's battle with cancer. Um, so if that guy didn't know, none of us knew, you know, you yeah. had to be in his most true inner private circle Um, And then to what Mark was talking about in the term is he was regal. He was a regal hero. Nice. Very good. Um, You know, he played a king and that's what everyone says, right? Everyone's saying is like rest in power king. He is a king to people, you know? Um, And one of the really beautiful things that, uh, you know, was in that Ryan Coogler letter is like on those, Ryan was talking about those hard scenes. He's like, I'm not sure if this is going to work. You know, Ryan has made some really good movies He's never touched anything remotely approaching a superhero movie. There was no CG in his movies that he had done before. He he hadn't, you know, had to direct these action set pieces. He didn't know how it was going to work. But um, the words that Chadwick said to him, which I think are so poignant, was like, man, we're making Star Wars. We're making Lord of the Rings for our culture. You know, we're creating this mythological heroes that people aspire to. Because how many fucking kids look up to the Skywalkers, the Jedis, Lord of the Rings, you know, um, these are iconic, iconic heroes. And that's, that's the thing about heroes. And I've tried to explain, cause I have friends that don't like fiction. They only read nonfiction. They only read like, you know, serious things. They don't get what fiction is. It's like, why do you care? It's not real. And it's like, you don't understand like the inspiration that can come from fiction. Like it's, it may be escapism, but it, it can create this level of hope because it can create these characters that we want what we want the world to be, but do not exist for us, you know, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. We just don't have that great example to this becomes the example that we strive for. And, and it's so true. And it's just everything about his life. I'm, I'm going like, to use a quote from these Lord of the Rings. It's probably one of the most common, most popular quotes is, you know, all we have to do is to decide what to do with the time we have, you know, like we, we don't get to decide how long we're here for or where we go. All we can do is what we, you know, decide is what we do in the time we do have. And when you all, the, it's, it's, it's very similar to Kobe Bryant is after they passed, all these people started sharing these personal stories about these interactions they have, this way he, they reached out to them, this way that they helped them, this way that they gave them advice, this way that they were just there for them that weren't public stories, that weren't this social media press. You know, we live in the me, me generation of is anyone even a good person? Cause you're just doing it for the gram, right? Is, is a charitable donation made if there's not a Facebook post saying, look at this good thing I did for people to like, you know, but there are people out there who are being heroes in the shadows. And turns out, you know, uh, Chadwick was one of them. And he he had four years from the day he was diagnosed. And if you look at everything he did in that four years time, hell, he lived a thousand better lifetimes than I have thus far. You know what he's done for people, what he's inspired. You know, it's, it's, it's a matter of means and everything. But the fact is, he did it. You know, like you said, he was out there visiting kids who were terminally ill. He was, you know, doing these things for all these people. He was being a hero. He was being a goddamn king. Um, and it's sad because it's like Kobe. They 
there was still so much ahead of them. You, you looked at both of them and you're like, the best might actually be yet to come. And th- that that's the crazy thing. Cause for what they did in their lives, that's enough. That's more than enough for many, many lifetimes, right? They, they accomplished so much, but they could have been more. And that's yep. the saddest part about it. Um, he, um, if you want to cry, uh, Michael B. Jordan wrote a really nice, I don't know, is the word not really eulogy or memoriam or something? Yeah. I, for, I, um, for what he refers, who he refers to as his big brother. Uh, Michael B. Jordan played uh, Killmonger in Black Panther. Um, and like, he just, you know, he just kept writing. And I, I, I it kind of got to me. He just kept writing, I wish we had more time. And, you know, he ended with, with saying, you know, is this your king? A line from Black Panther. And he said, yes, he is. Rest in power, brother. And it really, man, it's just, it just sucks. And like, just even like, I mean, this isn't, I mean, Stefan talked about the greater impact he's had on people. But just like, think about like, even from a career wise, like the run he had the last five, six years, the best comparison is like, and this is a really hole in the wall fucking comparison because Chadwick had a more memorable impact on people's lives, I think, than this gentleman. But like, I mean, there's a guy in the 70s. I remember he played Fredo in Godfather. J- John Kazali. In a five-year stretch, he four of his five movies he was in were nominated for an Oscar. And that's the type of fucking greatness Chadwick <coughs> Boseman had the last five, six years. And not everything was nominated for an Oscar, but like, he played Jackie Robinson, for the love of God. And he killed it. You know, he killed it as Jackie Robinson. He killed it as Black Panther. Mike, who's not here, um, was talking about the movie, um, we were on the chat, uh, 21 Bridges, where he said, like, he was great in that, too. The guy's an excellent, excellent actor, and that's not the most important thing in the world, of course. It's the impact he left on the people, but, like, he brought characters to life, man, and I was reading that he married, he, he met his wife in 2015, and they got secretly married, uh, last October, you know, was happy he was able to do that, and happy he able he you know he died young, but he he's gonna he's not gonna be forgotten. Um, that's really all I got, Steph. You got anything else before we move on? Um, you know, I was just gonna share an anecdote about you know seeing Black Panther. Um, because just because you alluded to it, um, yeah. You live in Walnut Creek, which is a pretty uh, predominantly white area. You know, yeah. it's kind of Yuppieville, homie. Yuppieville. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's <laughs> I very, love it here by Yuppieville. <laughs> very beautiful, nice suburb. Um, I had the chance to see a early screening of Black Panther in Oakland. Um, and if you know anything about Oakland, where the fucking Black Panther Party was born. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of cultural significance in that city. Um on that night, unfortunately, I was at the wrong theater. I could have gone to the right theater, but uh, Ryan Coogler made an appearance at two different Oakland theaters and one San Francisco theater to kind of speak to the crowd before the uh, or these early screenings on that day. Um, I chose wrong, so I missed out in that regard. But um, it's truly just a moment that will forever stay with me. It was wall-to-wall packed. And it was, yeah, it was predominantly a black crowd, but it was so, so diverse. And every... Whether you were black, whether you were Latino, whether you were Asian, whether you're white, everyone who was there on that night in that theater had the same expression. But the thing that was so wild to me was like, 
you had the kids, you had the teenagers, you had the 30 something year old man children like we fall into, you know, but then you had these elderly couples like these black couples in their 70s or 80s, gray hair. And I just saw multiple times like I was sitting next to a very lovely couple. And at one point in the movie, nothing's even happening, but they're both just in tears. And it's it's a it's a tears of being proud of having this character to feel proud of. And it's just like, I even asked him, I was like, you know, what was it like seeing this movie for you? And he's like, I've waited my whole life for this moment, you know? And it's the reaction that so many people in my community and neighbors around me and people I knew, it's like when Obama became president, I never thought I'd see this, you know? Like, like the big Marvel blockbuster is my people, like, and it, like, on top of that, that opening throwback scene when we get the origin of Killmonger, Oakland, California. Oh, dude, it's a movie. Ninety-two. Uh, Steph, I mean, it's a, I mean, it didn't hurt that like the director is famously from Oakland, from Oakland and it's <laughs> like the movie Oakland. starts with Oakland, California, and everybody in the fucking Walnut Creek Theater is like, "Fuck yeah, Oakland!" <laughs> like, Fuck, you're close <laughs> enough. I've been there. Fuck, I drive over there. It's twenty minutes. I've been to an A's game. Fuck yeah, <laughs> you know. But just how much this movie and. Chadwick and like all the all the all the crew talked about like he, he was the leading man of the movie but he was the leading man of the production and how much he did for all the other people he made people feel seen um and whether you know we get really political with things but that's been the big theme of the last you know couple elections whether on whatever side you're on people want to feel seen there's a on both sides you have people talk about being neglected, being left behind. And, you know, there's all this other shit going on, but those are very real feelings. And when something, when a piece of art can give that longing that we all have to feel seen, to feel recognized, to feel heard, to feel represented, and to be done in a glorious way, that is so powerful. So when he said that they were making Star Wars, when when they were making Lord of the Rings, congratulations like Chadwick Boseman you absolutely did it with Black Panther the Wakanda forever the salute the mythology you created the hero you are to people like that's gonna live on for many many generations um and you know like the man he he died his, his earthly body died too young but the guy's name will get to echo in eternity and fucking well deserved yeah and you know it was nice seeing while we were watching the wrestling, all the African-American wrestlers throwing up the X, you know, the Wakanda Forever symbol. It was really nice to see. Um, Just a side note. Look, we're all excited as anybody. And we were all excited as anybody else to see Black Panther 2. That conversation can wait a little bit, folks. It's fucking been two days. Like, have a little tact. Again, Steph, I get it. I was excited. I'm excited. You're excited. We're all excited. But let's all pump the brakes on that conversation for, you know... <laughs> I mean, the director yeah. just said the director just said he didn't know the guy was sick. So we can all, you know, we can, no one's going to the movie theater, folks. So I'll pump the brakes. All right. It wasn't, coming, it wasn't showing up for a few years, so don't worry they about can it. Show up, you know, man, we all can wait a little bit. You know, Heath Ledger died. We waited a while till we saw another Joker. It'll be cool. Okay? <laughs> It'll be okay. Let's not put that kind of pressure on another actor. Um let's do stuff we like. Um I'll go first. Um I really got into the show Brockmire this past weekend in that I watched three fucking seasons. Um, I, th I think it's on IFC. Um, the, 
basic premise is Hank Azaria, um, who voices Mo, not a poo anymore. I was going to say a poo. <laughs> not a poo. A lot of people. Um, Stefan knows this better than me. Because, you know. I mean, The Simpsons was like five voice actors that did all the town. There's a lot yeah, he, of characters. He, 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 voiced, he voiced it no Simpsons. Okay? He voiced a bunch of other people. I don't know if he did Barney, but he definitely did Mo. Okay? I got Mo and Boo stuck in my head. Um, so Hank Azaria plays um, a baseball announcer in Kansas City. Um, and is he. The best comparison would be like the Kansas City version of Vin Scully or somebody like that. A guy who's a kind of an institution in his city. Um, if you're not a baseball fan, just, yeah, just a guy who just is the man, a legend. And um, he finds out, he goes home one day and sees his wife is banging like 12 people in an orgy. And uh, he then goes and gets hammered um, and calls a baseball game and just goes and has a meltdown. And it goes viral, and it's, you know, the setting is, I think it's 20, uh, what was it, like 2006 or something like that, maybe. Um, and he gets fired, and he's shamed, and he just goes away for years. And he comes back 10 years later, and is going to call minor league baseball in a city in, small city in Tennessee. And the owner of the team is Amanda Pete, who, I don't even know what Amanda Pete's known for at this point, but... You, you know who Amanda Pete is, probably, if you Google her. Um, it's a really funny show. <laughs> like, it's hilarious. It's on Hulu. I strongly recommend it. Like, I know Mark doesn't give two shits about baseball. Mark, I still strongly recommend you watch this show. Because mm. it is just really funny. It is just a funny show. You don't have to know shit about baseball, quite frankly. Um, and uh, I didn't know you could curse so much on IFC. That's really what I'm getting at. Um... And I guess it was created by Hank Azaria. It's from a funnier die sketch he played. And it got extrapolated into a show. It just ended its fourth and final season. All four seasons are on Hulu. I think it's eight episodes a season. Um, half an hour episodes. Or 20 minute episodes. You fly through it, honestly. It's very, very funny. So if you have Hulu. Uh, Brockmire. Really funny. I, you know, I dig it quite a bit. And, uh. I sold. I think I'm trying to sell stuff on it, and I'm like, "Hey, you like Hank Azaria? Watch this. We'll see if either one of them do." Uh, Mike watches it too, or Mike has watched it because Mike watches every TV show that ever fucking existed. Um, Stefan, he sometimes watches week? ones he doesn't like. He does. Um, he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm keeping my my K-pop minute um, going. Uh, last week I was hyping the uh, first English track by BTS. Well. Uh, the queens uh, on the lady side of holding it down. Um, and they just put out their first all English track and they did it partnering with Selena Gomez. Um, I'm talking about Blackpink. Um, them and Selena put out a single last uh, Friday called Ice Cream. Um, it is a, another, again, kind of fun summer, like poppy hip hop vibe. Um, if you want to hear a song where it's uh, a million different euphemisms for uh, getting an erection but via ice cream, uh, as the analogy, this is the song for you. Um, I was doing for a soft serve. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, what is one of the lines of the hooks? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good with the cream if you know what I mean. And I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. I've graduated into the dad listening side when I hear song lyrics now, and I'm like, oh, that's a euphemism. Um, do, you, do you ever just say something? You're like, that's a little inappropriate, and you realize, fuck, how old am I? <laughs> that's, that's me 
me right now. Sometimes I'm like, there's, Bobby, there's a lot of music I listen to, and I'm like, let's clean it up, ladies. Um, in the rap world, what is that song? WAP. That's that's all the rage right now. Um, I'm not sure what. I'm not. By the way, with WAP, I don't know sure what it says. Where I just like, I heard that was a title, and I saw who created it. And I'm like, I know in about means. four seconds, I put it together. I'm like. Okay, I know what she's talking about. There if we go. Anything, I think it's more fun the memes of alternate uh, meanings for WAP. Uh, but, uh, anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, check it out. It's a fun song. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of the uh, soon to be Western domination of K pop. Um, and then for fun, I mentioned to you guys uh, before we went on about a new video game. Truly, I was just bored. Um, I was looking at the PlayStation Store. I didn't even know it was out, I didn't know it was coming out so soon. I didn't. I have no sense of time anymore, um, but I bought Madden 21 um, to see the news story today that Madden 21 is now the lowest rated user score on Metacritic. <laughs> <laughs> Not it's one worse of, than, it's it is worse than Battlefront. It's uh, yeah, that, that's uh, the video I was watching. That's what is compared it against. And it was just like um, truly the recurring theme is people mad at EA. Like you said, Bob, EA is doing their damnedest. Um, there's a lot of great memes that when uh, Blizzard Activision was very pro-China censorship, a lot of EA in the corner, like, thank God, someone's not looking at me for five <laughs> someone minutes. Took, like, someone took the heat off of us. Like, you take the hot potato now. Like, I'm going to go catch a breather over here. But, um, yeah, is the game utterly unplayable garbage? No. Um, but what it is is the exact same game that was the last Madden I played in 2017. Um, besides updated rosters, they haven't done a goddamn thing. I never played these ultimate team mode, which are the cash cow games. Mm. I didn't realize that none of it is transferable. So if you spend a thousand dollars on the ultimate Madden card game in, uh, Madden 20 in Madden 21, you're back to square zero with all the other schmucks. So I get why people are upset. Um, EA, they bought the Madden license. What was it? 15 years ago. Was I think I think with the last time we got that 2K game, ESPN 20- 2K six or whatever it was with Terrell Owens on the cover. I think it was five. I think you might be right with fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what exclusivity can do. It can make you fucking lazy as hell. Um, you know, Mark liked that EA UFC game. Maybe he'll talk about it a little bit this week. But my conversation with him about that game was just like, I sure would love someone else to get a hand on that license. Um, there's no fu- there's no fucking chance Mark's gonna Mark's been gone for a week. He's not gonna talk about that game. I'm telling you that right now. I'm just putting money hey, on it right now. <laughs> I, I see what Mark plays on his uh, PlayStation dashboard. Be- before me, if we for- by the way, before Mark gets into the video game dump, do you have any thoughts about the wrestling show we watched last night? Oh, payback. Yeah. Um, I like that Keith Lee is getting the push. I don't like that they're making him wear a fat conscious T-shirt. Um, yeah, let me tell you, as a fat guy, I could tell a fat conscious tank. I mean, I have that shirt. Okay, it's not. The, the, it's the, what the, I the black slimming tank top. We yeah, don't... let me tell you, if I st- if I still gave a fuck, that's what I would wear to a pool. I ran out of fucks years ago. Once I hit thirty, I stopped caring. But you know, that's what they're making Keith Lee wear. Did you feel there was like three matches that were like the same, like the Riddle match, the Keith Lee match, and who was the other young, the other like new guy who was supposed to win? There was somebody else. There was like three, like young mysterious. Oh, like not even young guy. Like it was like when Big E was out there. We're like, okay, we have three new singles competitors against some established people. They're gonna get beat up for ninety percent of the match, and then they won at the end. And that, yeah. that was it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's one thing WWE struggles with a lot is um some of their finishes and their schmozzy finishes and their surprise roll of finishes. They work in a vacuum. It doesn't work when four consecutive matches end that way. Like you can't. It's like every match 
has its dedicated writer, and then none of those writers talk to each other. You, uh, this is a serious comment I have about uh, I, I, the WWE like style, and it extends to NXT too. All the all the matches on a given show you can tell are kind of the I don't know how to describe it. like it's kind of like the same style, even if you have guys doing different moves and shit. Like it's kind of the criticism of the one criticism you give NXT. Where like all the matches are kind of the same, yeah. All the matches on Raw are kind of the same. All the matches on SmackDown are the same. And this isn't me just being an AEW mark because there's plenty of stuff to dislike about AEW too. I like with AEW, the matches are kind of different. We're like, this is gonna be some comedy shit. We're gonna see 75 Canadian destroyers in this next match. This next match, Moxley and this other guy are gonna just punch each other in the face. I like that it's different a little bit from match to match. You kind of watch one Monday Night Raw match, you've seen all of them. And that's Vince's it's Vince's playground. I get it. That's his style. But And then um my big note on that card was uh Roman Reigns came back after being gone for quite some time. He's one of the biggest names who's been on the show for the WWE. Um they finally fucking turned him heel after God knows how long of everyone wanting it. Dude, he's he's on Twitter shit talking people now. It's great. Um <laughs> they gave him uh Mark, they gave him Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is now Roman Reigns' mouthpiece and yep. when it comes oh, to to be a heel maker, that that's a great move, right? Uh, Paul Heyman is he's just a great mouthpiece as a manager. Um, that said, they dropped the fucking ball because after all this time, after all this quest and change, he's got the same music, he's got the same shield gear. Uh, well, wait, wait, no, he didn't come out in gear. He came out in pants and a shirt. It's the he didn't even wrestle. <laughs> he wore his new T-shirt instead of his vest because he's got to move some merch. He's been on the shelf for several months. He's got to get some paychecks. He's got to move that shirt. You like the shirt, Bobby. You kind of want the shirt. It's I kind of do. It's a black t-shirt, Bobby. Yeah, you they, know they, you're gonna just they just got to give me a reason to root for Roman Reigns, man. Um, he's a Niner fan. I'm all on board, all right? He's one of my... He's, he's part of the family. Repackage him, right? Seth, I want a new music back. People like Seth Rollins' bullet gun music, but now he's Jesus, and now he comes out to some Final Fantasy music, you know? <laughs> what? It fits the character. Fucking yeah. repackage, guys. It's okay to update their music. Yeah, no one are people buying the the single? Is that what this is? Like, are they really making money on fucking people buying this song on iTunes? He needs new music. What's the name of those CDs that used to come out? Like WWE, like was it uh, like, Aggression or something? Or that was, the, the Aggression was the rap album. It was incredible. But there was other ones that were just like they had those CDs, WWE, which were just the the, the themes. The, yeah, the WWE like I forgot the name. I know what you're talking about, dude. That was oof. um yeah I. Come on, man. Let's just go full in. Give the guy new music. He already got new teeth. It looks beautiful. He got some veneers. When, and he's and he's the champion. When Bray went for the mandible claw, I was like, not the fucking teeth, Bray. <laughs> Get away from the teeth. Um, one last thing. Dominic Mysterio, um, I think he has it. I'm impressed for a guy who's had two fucking matches. I'll say this. I like that he does the 619 followed by the frog splash. Because in WWE canon, his dad, biologically, is Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> but he doesn't do the Eddie Guerrero frog splash. He does the fucking D'Lo Brown frog splash. And I love it because he kind of wears a chest protector too. So I half convinced myself that Dominic Mysterio is just paying tribute to D'Lo at this mm, point. So you're going to say Dominic is the plot twist. He's actually D'Lo's son. Uh, that's, that's, holy shit. You bring D'Lo back in the fold. That's the move. I just um, like that he is so much taller than his dad. Like, well, his his mom is pretty tall too, though. I yeah, saw that. His, I mean, she's taller. So Ray, good job to him. His wife is taller than him. His son is significantly taller than him. Good job, Ray Mysterio. I just look at Ray Mysterio and say, I watched this guy wrestle in 1996, 
How is he still doing the same moves 24 years later? It makes no fucking sense. Anyway, we we talked a lot. Marcus has got two weeks of stuff to tell you about because my man does some video game news. Let me tell you. And Mark's here to tell it to you. Mark, what you got this? No, I'm going to keep it fairly short. Uh, oh, there, there was, there was, well, we were already at an hour and 20 minutes. And we ran out of stuff. Oh, sorry. Minutes ago, so. um, but no, there. Uh, so the big games coming out this week are uh, Avengers and the remaster of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. Um, I uh, previously talked about the beta for the Avengers. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, your mileage may vary on that, how much, you know, fandom you have for the Avengers and Marvel games and uh, games as a service. Uh, for me personally, I think, you know, the Marvel wrapping is the most appealing wrapping for a games as service type game, like a Destiny or what have you. Um, Divinity, not Divinity. Oh, shoot. Steph, what was that uh, Ubisoft game we played? The Division. Those type of games that are kind of long going. And um, so when you guys actually listen to this podcast, they should also have their latest War Rooms going to be happening tomorrow or today when you're listening to this. And they're going to reveal who the first uh, post-game character is. And a lot of people are, um, you know, there's rumors that it might be Black Panther, which would kind of fit with, you know, the the recent passing. But I don't know if that was necessarily what they were planning for. Um, On the other uh, spectrum, you know, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. Um, is a game that a lot of people have a lot of fondness and nostalgia for. Um, they were actually really excellent games. Uh, and they've actually been re-released before, uh, I think on the last generation, but they were received very poorly. They did not seem to play correctly, is basically the consensus I heard online. So um, they actually did have a, a short demo for this game that came out like a couple weeks ago. Um, people are pretty fused about it. So um, yeah, that game looks really appealing too. Gamescom, which is kind of... Uh, uh, Europe or Germany's big like uh, gaming convention has been going on this last week. I didn't personally have my finger on the pulse on that one. They they did reveal some new games, but a lot of them were kind of like smaller games, and I haven't really gone back to watch the trailer. So that's all I got this week. Marcus, um, as one of those people who, f- when Tony Hawk came out, I don't know shit about skating, but when that game came out, and I don't know if Steph, you were with me on this, but me and my little brother played the shit out of those Tony Hawk games, the first couple ones, I might buy this game. As bad of an idea it is for me to buy video games. You guys all know. Yeah, the question is, does it have its original soundtrack? And am I going to get oh, yeah. early 2000s like alternative punk emo rock songs? Is it 40 bucks? Is that a thing? Is uh, that true? I don't know. I don't know the price. They, they have talked about the, the soundtrack because obviously that's a big selling point with that game. And I believe... They got pretty much all the songs from the original and they added in some new ones too. I don't think I don't I I I remember at first they announced the soundtrack and it was missing some of like the big songs. I think later they said that they did get licensing like can, can you play the can you put in the cheat codes where you're kind of floating and you do like a 75 flips at once cuz let me tell you that was fun. <laughs> I would probably have some of that stuff but I honestly do not know. I, I don't I, I, don't I, I might buy it. I, I saw it wasn't for the Switch and I was a little bummed but yeah, I was I like fuck us stuff. Dude, I visually supposed to look very good. Dude, again, like I remember, like, did you guys play this game before I go on a rant here? Like those the airport, like playing in the air, like the airport scene where you could like grind on the fucking baggage claim all the way around, and that that game was so much fun, man. Um, I played Kareem Campbell. I like playing with him. I don't know who he is. Don't even know he was that good. Besides Tony, I don't know any people were, but I played with Kareem Campbell. That was my guy. I learned about (laughs) a lot of them were. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we're kind of the X James generation, even though we're a bunch of people who don't know shit about skating necessarily. Not to speak for all of you, I don't know how well you know stuff. A quick, uh, I have, I have a, now a quick tangent on the X Games um, because uh, my sister took me one year. Like again, this is that whole era. Um, I couldn't have been less enthused, but I was on TV like eight times. 
Like every event I went to, they had me in the they panned to me in the crowd. Oh, and I was just tired. <laughs> I was just like, it's hot. There's no cover. We're just on a pavement lot right now. Uh, so I was on TV looking very unenthused repeatedly on many events. What, am I mistaken? Or wasn't like the first like six of them or in San Francisco or so? Were they all here? They're all in the bay. Like, they were like yeah. would be in like Mountain View and stuff like that. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of San Francisco out on. Uh, I'm looking now. Fucking, th- they got 275,000 people to show up in '99. I don't know if that's still. I don't. I have no concept. That I might mean, be small. Bay Area, Santa Cruz, L.A. That's where most of this culture is born. Yeah, you know, so. Lords of Dogtown. Check out that movie. Good documentary. Better movie. Better documentary than movie. Yeah. But the movie has Mitch Hedberg. So I don't know, era of wearing vans. I learned who everyone was when I was doing that. I still got vans. Yeah. I still wear vans. <laughs> the uh, one of my favorite vans, the half cab, named for Steve Caballero. Found out my uh, uh, older sister Francine was friends with him because they were neighbors in San Jose when they were growing up. You know, like. Yeah, there's a lot of locals in the skating world. Um, this was a very long podcast for only having three people and like four fights. We yeah. talked about yeah, no fights, fights for, like, we want to talk about. We talked about. We made some shit up about Brock Lesnar. Well, <laughs> the rest of it was rants. It was the, it was the Chadwick Boseman podcast. Um, that's where we got sidetracked, but you know he deserved to, he deserved yeah. all the praise. So I'm not mad. So about it. um, I want to look up and make sure I have this right. So th- we're gonna have to come back next week. We're gonna talk. Um, we plan on doing a show on Labor Day. Um, because I'm assuming we're all just sitting at our house, but we'll let you know if anything changes. Uh, we'll see if Overeem got a win here. We'll see if, you know, this all, if, if Alonzo beats OSP, we will take this man very seriously going forward because he's at least top seven at that point. Um, we're going to preview, uh, this is a big one though. Tiago Santos, Glover Teixeira. That's a big fight in this weight class at 205. So we're going to preview that. We got Roxanne Modafferi versus KGB Lee on that card. Um, Angela Hill versus Michelle Watterson. We're going to save that for next week, the Michelle Watterson conversation, because it made Stefan sad. Um, and I got real vicious. I got vicious immediately. I, 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 I turned quick, folks. All right? I turned quick. Um, uh, Ed Herman is somehow still fighting. We'll talk about that. Um, all that next week. Um, I'll let you know if I bought Tony Hawk. And we're going to talk about the first episode of The Boys, or maybe the first three, depending on how many we get through. Sure. And I swear to God, Amazon, this week-by-week shit's not going to fly. I'm at home. Drop the whole season. I f- strongly feel that way. Yeah, um, I'm not looking forward to that. That's the thing is, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to binge all three. Yeah, that's I'm happening gonna Friday. And I'm going to wait for the rest. I don't, I'm, I'm telling not you, that's... Go week to week. Yeah, because I can't, like, week to week, you'll be like, oh, did you watch that episode? We can't talk about it unless this is an organized thing. So yeah, we're gonna talk, probably talk about the first three episodes and then talk about it again in a month and a half after that. Anyway, this is a super long episode. If you're still sticking with us, God bless you. Um, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark. Go watch Black Panther. See y'all next week. Peace out. See ya. Cheers. Cheers.